Hello and welcome to Miss Checkpoints, the video game book club podcast. Today we're doing a bonus cast on what remains of Edith Finch. I'm your host Marcus and joining me is the homie Trevor. What's going on? So it's just me and Trevor for this uh, bonus cast. Uh, Like I said, it's what remains of Edith Finch. Uh, Trevor, this was his selection. It was a game we both wanted to play, but since he spurred it on, I'm going to kick it to him so he can introduce the game. Alright, so we played What Remains of Edith Finch, and it was developed by Giant Sparrow, which is the studio also known for developing um, Unfinished Swan in 2012, uh, which I believe was a PlayStation exclusive. But um, What Remains of Edith Finch was, or is a first-person narrative adventure game, and it's similar to like Firewatch and Gone Home, uh, with a more um, narrative, like... Um, uh, I guess a, like a a monologue type feel, um, and it began development in 2013. That and which coincided with the partnership that they formed um, during the development of Unfinished Swan with Sony Computer Entertainment. Um, then in 2015, Sony actually decided to draw back some of their support for independent games. And as a result, the ones who were working with the Santa Monica SE studio or the um, publisher left and ended up forming Annapurna Interactive, which is the publisher that is known for um, publishing games, particularly well-received games on mobile like um, Flower, Gorgoa, Florence, and Donut County. And so with this new publisher, uh, Giant Sparrow had had a much more relaxed delivery schedule. Um, However, they were limited on some of the subject matter for their game. And there was one particular scenario in the game that we'll discuss, and it involves the death of an infant, um, which had to be playtested by parents um, in order to make sure that they handled the sensitive matter um, or handled it in a sensitive manner. Um, Edith Finch was developed from the concept of a specific scene in the game that you experience early on where a little girl turns into a shark tumbling through the forest and this surreal theme uh, pretty much set the pace for the remainder of the game and other scenarios were created to kind of capture that same feel and they created like a collection of vignettes that are woven together into an anthology that tells the tragic story of a cursed family, and it goes back as far as early 1900s all the way up to present day um, on its timeline. And this idea was influenced by other media such as the Canterbury Tales and A Hundred Years of Solitude that similarly construct a continuity between intermittent stories. They also entertained the idea of using a horror genre by leaving some of the stories open-ended, and then they ended up settling on a more Lovecraftian style. Um, Another character that had a large role besides the Finch family um, is the house itself that it takes place in, which is set on the 
Orcas Island off the coast of Washington State, and the development team set out to make the house feel more organic and lived in. Um, and it's also kind of divided into chapters the same way the story is told. The game was finally released on April 25th, 2017 on PS4, Xbox One, uh, and PC. I'm not sure if it's on Switch yet. Um, and it released to generally positive reviews. Uh, it received an award for Best Narrative at the Game Awards in 2017, as well as South by Southwest and Game Developers Choice Awards in 2018. And without going too far into the story, um, I'll just leave it there. But um, the reason why I wanted to play this game um, was because I had already played it um, before this podcast. <laughs> um, and it's it's a really easy game to recommend. Um, but I played it because at the time I was going through a lot of um, walking sims. I was playing Gone Home, Dear Esther, uh, Firewatch, um, pretty much all the games like that I was trying to trying to find and play. And this one came up, and I particularly enjoyed it because it has a very... Um, I think when I played it, I tried to describe it to some of my friends. Like, hey, have you ever read a pop-up book? Imagine playing it as a video game. And that was like my elevator pitch to get people to play this game. And so I thought it'd be fun to play for for this podcast. Can I tell you that I it's kind of a little surprising that you like walking sims? <laughs> <laughs> Why a little bit. I don't know. It's just I've always seen you as like I mean, I know you like the action adventure uh genre. You know, I know you like playing like some type of uh uh animal creature that can talk or whatever i don't know what was that game you were playing when i was at your place (laughs) um man that could be a lot of things (laughs) it was like in december time and it was like a game kind of like a journey um oh um you were a animal creature um was it um fey that sounds right that sounds right i remember you being disappointed by the ending of it yeah, it was kind of, I don't know, it was it was different than I expected. But I do remember you um, saying, like, something about liking that. And, like, I, I don't know, like, just the walking sims, at least the ones that I've played, uh, I think you named a bunch off. And the only one that I can think of that I've played off the top of my head was um, what uh, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Okay. Which uh, I... I'm not a fan. <laughs> really? Yeah. I wanted to like, play that game. I will, I mean, I didn't I didn't finish it. Mm-hmm. So, I am down to I hesitate to say the word play it. I am down to walk in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like it I yeah, and I, I just think about it. I was like, man, I didn't play Firewatch cuz you guys all played that last last year and I didn't play that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it it's a genre that I feel like I should like, but I just I think just everybody going to the rapture has left a sour taste in my mouth, so I kind of haven't really messed with the genre beyond that. I think what makes a walking sim good is the pacing. Like for instance, Dear Esther, 
it's it's kind of a more of a narrative like uh, what remains of Edith Finch because once you hit certain checkpoints in the game, it begins narration, and that kind of helps the pacing because it's a very slow walking game. Like I I think you can finish the game in an hour, but that's like an hour of continuously moving forward. Um, but I think a huge part of it is just the pacing. And what remains of Edith Finch, like, does a phenomenal job of pacing in this game. Like, you know, walking and and narration. I mean, not to mention that uh, there's actual gameplay, too. Mm-hmm. Or, I won't even say gameplay, but there's a variety in what you are doing. Right. And, like, everybody's gone to the rapture, which I'm sorry to keep going back to that one, but... It just stays a flat line for me the entire time. And it's just getting narration. And at that point, I'd rather just be playing, like, a freaking dating sim. Like, Well, that's kind of how Dear Esther is, too. It's, okay. it's basically you're, you're walking a path, and every time you get to a checkpoint, there's narration. That plays. <laughs> Story happens. Yeah. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, and that that's always been the thing that's turned me off. But like like I said, I, I missed out. I should have played Firewatch. I didn't. Um, some of the other games, like uh, I, I believe Oxenfree is a one. And The Stanley Parable and Gone Home. Those are games that I have on my personal list of games that I want to play. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, just, I just need to bite the bullet and check one or two of them out and get another, dip my toes into it. Uh, but I think this game is... Fantastic! <laughs> I, uh, I I don't even I, I really liked hearing your elevator pitch about it being a pop up book because um, I think that's a good way to describe it. I I beat this game in a single sitting because it's fairly short, like what two two and a half hours. Yeah, and I, I beat it in a single sitting on a Friday night, and um, I immediately called uh, Alyssa and I was like, "Hey, um, how is your day going?" But also, uh, I played this game that I know you don't play video games, but <laughs> I'm gonna have you play this game because it's fairly simple. Like, there's not like a whole lot of I don't want to say buttons, you know. But you don't you don't have to be like a. It's gonna be an interesting test to see her play because she doesn't necessarily have the years and years ingrained of like. That's one of the things I've noticed with video games now is like. Sometimes if you put it in the hands of somebody that doesn't play video games, they just don't know what to do or where they're going. And they're not used to, like, constraints that the game has where it's like a set path you need to go and they're just trying to go wherever, you know? Yeah. So I I um, I definitely want to set her loose and kind of see how she feels about the house and the environment. And I think that the stories of this family as you progress through the game will be like a really i think she'll really enjoy that i really just want her to see the stories but i think that playing through it would make it a lot more effective and i'm i'm ready to dig into this (laughs) um so yeah you uh start in the the shoes of edith edith finch and she's kind of um i mean like trevor said is it orca island yeah and you're you're basically starting off in the woods and you're at the the edge of this long winding driveway slash wooded area and you're walking to this house and the entire time she's having like an inner monologue about 
her family and the last time she's been to this house because it's been some years and it's like every single person in her family has lived in this house and they so they've added on and like well you find that out later that they've added on but um there's just a lot of history in this this house and there is a family a fitch family curse where they just never explain but just the family is considered cursed and um you're and, just and it's it's weird i've always had this like i don't know it's part of this game that makes me wonder like it says they they all died before their time but what does that mean i like, mean <laughs> i always thought you know when you die you know it's, it's your time it's like a spiritual thing, man. Yeah. It's like, uh, how did they know it wasn't their time? I think, I think the 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 common response to that would be like, you know, if you have a a, a little kid dying, or even like a, a a preteen dying, like they haven't. It's seen as unfair that they haven't lived a full life. You know, they haven't got to adulthood, and they haven't had to have kids of their own or build relationships with people outside of their family and, and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of seen as from the outside point of view where it's like, man, they still had so much to live for. Like they haven't had the same life experiences that majority of us get, you know? Yeah. Or are lucky to get, I guess you could say. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, man, it, it, I, and it was cool slash a little bit unnerving. Cause when I, got into this game you know it's i'm playing at nighttime and you're walking through this woods as it's i guess like a dusk setting and it's just getting darker and the woods are really quiet and she's having this inner monologue and you hear about this curse and i hadn't done a whole ton of research about this game so i'm thinking like is it a haunted house like people get like (laughs) do they get murdered here like what's going on um She's kind of just talking about, like, her relationship. I guess her closest relationship was with her mother and her grandmother. Um, And uh, she had two siblings, uh, two brothers. One, I guess, died prematurely, right? Um, Well, one died... Her, you, you're talking about um, the main character's brothers? Actually, no, I take that back. Uh, Yeah, one one died... um, I think he committed suicide. suicide. And then the other one he is missing. Yeah. yeah, he's disappeared. And so there's a little bit of weirdness going on. And um, I, the, the, the just the opening environment is creepy, but it's gorgeous as well. Like, this game looks amazing to me. So what, what did you play the game on? I played it on uh, PC. Okay, so I played it on Xbox One. And I didn't notice the first time I played it, but um, I have a, you know, just a a regular Xbox One. I think it's the first model that came out. Sure. And and this this game has some technical issues, like in the opening scene. Oh, really? Um, Like when you're walking through the forest. I don't know if it's because it's so dense, but, I mean, frame rate was dropping, like, throughout the entire opening scene. Is it just in that section, or? Um, I noticed it in a couple of other sections, but it wasn't as bad as the first part when you're going through the forest. 
Oh, okay. Like once you get to the house, it kind of levels back out. But in that opening, I was I was really hoping chugging. It wasn't. Yeah, I was really hoping it, this wasn't going to change my opinion of the game. When that was both times you played, I don't remember it happening the first time. Interesting. Um, or at least not as badly. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Um, you get into the house. You get to the house, and it's just this huge, like, cabin, McMansions. <laughs> like, <laughs> it. It's just this huge house that you can tell. Like, it fits the set. Uh, the setting, the environment, it, it doesn't like look gaudy or look crazy against like the environment being in the woods and everything. But there's clearly parts of the house that have been added on, so it just kind of looks like slightly like what's going on here. There's a little bit of weirdness going on, and then you get inside, and I think you had to go in through the doggy door from the garage because your key didn't work. And then from there, you get into the house, and it just straight up looks almost like a hoarder house. It's like the house was left exactly as it was when the last person living there passed away or died or whatever. So I'm talking like plates still laid out on the table, books everywhere. There's still probably food in the fridge, like all of that. It was just basically like, oh, nobody's here to take care of this place. Just leave it as is. And um, as you're walking around, she, uh, Edith is kind of commenting on like oh yeah we the the night of the the, my mom and me left uh we had chinese food with my grandma and she had to deliver the news and you get to see that and like uh she kind of just makes comments about oh this is this spot was said to be like uh barbara's favorite spot in the house or blah 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 and it's it's a really cool house it's creepy but it's really cool um what do you think about the house? Because I, I think it is like a, it is basically a character in this game. Yeah, it's it's definitely a character. Like I think even without the the narrative and the story, you could literally walk around this house and have it tell you a story. Just because there's so much packed in it, like there's there's not a lot of interactive um, objects in the the house. But even just looking at like posters on the wall. You know, books that are strewn around. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of context, contextual information around the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think from there, like, you kind of... Uh, it's th- There's a little bit of weirdness because every person's room is labeled as their room, but they're all sealed up. Like, you can't get into them from the door. And then you find this little section that you can crawl into, fit into. And at that point, you are crawling through, like, secret passages and things like that to access these people's rooms. And so you end up, the first room that you uh, end up in is, I guess, your... I think it was Molly's. Molly, but who is she? She's like your mom's sister, right? Um, I think she's your mom's aunt. Uh, that yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, she was born in nineteen thirty-seven, and your mom was born in nineteen sixty-eight. 
That's okay. Okay, I'm I'm looking at the wrong name. Okay, sorry. We have I have the family tree up too, but it's it's a little bit confusing. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's the first kind of time you get that you get to, and at this point, you're like you you find a note in the person's room or some type of artifact or thing they left behind, and at that point, you can basically see you're playing as them as a character oftentimes so um did you what did you think about molly's section so this section i'm glad it was the first section in the game because it really pulled me into this game just the surreal nature of it like oh man there's gonna be some crazy stuff happening throughout this game and, and I think I mentioned it in the um, the intro too. Like, you know, this is pretty much what set the pace for the rest of the game, because um, they developed this scenario um, before they even knew how the rest of the game was going to go. Like, they didn't even know it was going to be tied together, like, you know, throughout a, a family's history. Um, oh, really? They just kind of did this as a demo, and then they they liked the surreal theme of it and decided to continue it. Okay. Yeah, so I like Molly's gameplay section or whatever because kind of like what you said, it was really engrossing. Um, I really enjoyed you got to play as different creatures, which was like something I've never, I can say, I don't think I've ever done that in a video game where you play as a cat and then you play as a... um, like an eagle or a hawk or something and then you play as a shark and then you play as this weird sea monster creature and so it was just kind of like yo what's going on and like you're i'm thinking like am i playing her hallucinations or what because for all we know like the memory that she had was she was i don't remember why but she was sent to bed early so she didn't get to have dinner so she just looked for things around the house or her room to eat so she ate like was it like toothpaste the, and the hamster's food and then the hamster's food and then these shape. berries? Yeah, they, they were probably plastic. It looked like decoration. I well, I did a little reading and people were saying those if they were real, those types of berries. I think they're holly berries is mm-hmm. what they're called, and they're not hallucin uh, hallucinogenic, but they are poisonous. Hmm. So I think that the thought is is that she poisoned herself so then she started like i don't know dreaming these other things up and then she ultimately when she got got by the sea creature that was underneath her bed when she laid down that was her succumbing to the poison hmm which is just a it's a reddit theory (laughs) yeah so i mean it sounds good (laughs) yeah exactly um it's really weird because like the this game doesn't give you like a it doesn't give you explanations for things but like i kind of like i like that but also i'm like well what happened to this person what you know like i don't necessarily need to know why there's an finch family curse but i just am more interested in knowing like why uh what happened to these characters because it said, like, it started with Odin Finch, who was, oh, like, well, a great-great-grandfather. Yeah, yeah, Edie. So, it's 
um, what's her name? Edith's, Edith's grandmother's name is Edie, and Edie's father is Odin, who is the one that, I guess they immigrated from, Nor- was it Norway? Yeah. And uh, he um, built the house, and the, I guess, original house got... They they, they, they tried to bring sh- it with them. On yeah. a ship, <laughs> and it sunk. So he built this house. He built the well, house. Well, he, that- he died when the house um, was destroyed. That's right. That's and right. it was... Um, it was Edie's husband who built the new house. Sven, Sven. Yeah, and he actually took um, the Finch last name, which I guess gave him the curse too. Because huh. at some point it, it says he died. Yeah, yeah, he died. So I thought that was interesting, but yeah, um, anybody can get in these streets. <laughs> So yeah, you um you play Molly and I, like I said, it, this was like like Trevor said, this was the perfect like opening like beginning story because it kind of was like oh there's there's a little bit of gameplay in here that's like kind of something I have never done before and that was really cool. Um, and then you go from her room to I don't remember what was the next character was it Odin? Um, I think you get to Odin's room and then you uh. It's like his, not his room, but like the room that was dedicated to him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of find out his backstory about how he left uh, Europe and uh, he, he, he apparently he left Europe to escape a family curse that was going on there, and the curse followed them, and so that's why the house wrecked, you know, off the coast of Washington, and he drowned and. All that, so you get just just to see like what was going on with him and why he's Edie had a lot of uh, um, held him in very high regard, and then from there you go to um, is it Calvin? Yeah, Calvin, who is uh, Edie's one of Edie's sons. She had uh, twin boys, uh, Calvin and uh, Sam. And uh, so they shared a room, and I really, I really dug going into their room because they literally had beds on either side of the room, and they each of them had their own half of the room that was dedicated to their interest. So one dude was really into like nature and wildlife, and he he seemed kind of like a, a Boy Scout kind of enthusiast. And then the other one was all about space. And, like, this is... I mean, both of these two were born 1950. So that was probably, like, at the height of, like, when sci-fi was popping as a, like, a... a, Popping as a genre. And, like, space travel was big. um, Or starting to become big. So it it was really cool to see their two sides of the bedrooms. The contrast between them. And um, you find out for him that he was, like, a what do you call it like uh who uh, you, calvin yeah like when you like i'm trying to think of the word when like he doesn't uh, back down from a challenge Daredevil. <laughs> exactly and it was cool too because um i think this is actually one of my favorite moments in the game because his uh artifact or the thing that you find out about his tragic backstory is a poem slash story that was written by his twin brother and they had even 
partner, you know, uh, blocked off his his half of the room as well. And you were able to access it and you see this poem that his brother wrote in uh, remembrance of his brother. And he basically said, like, hey, like, my brother always wanted to fly and we had this swing set on this tree and he he always said he was going to fly and then one day he tried to see if he could do a full rotation around the tree branch on the swing set and then you're playing as Calvin in first person as he's doing this swing set and you're controlling him and you can see too like he he has a cast on his foot so he's already in an injured state like so the, this dude is he he's like Trevor said he's a daredevil yeah and this this one was one of my favorites even though it was so brief just because like it was written by his brother and I'm thinking you know like this is just like a 11 12 13 year old boy writing this touching story about his brother and that kind of like it hit me a little bit like it was just like dang like they're really going there huh <laughs> <laughs> and uh did you have anything to say about this? Um, no, I think you said most of it. You know, I was just gonna comment on the cast, but um, but yeah, it was it was very brief. Um, and I think like once you, um, once you finish the game, there was something that I went back and did at this point. I can't remember what it was. In his gameplay or just in the room? Yeah, in his gameplay. Um, I'll have to. I'll have to find it and I'll bring it back up. And here I am reading this thing. Like, we haven't gotten to this character, but the reason why he was so bold slash brave is they said after this other character's death, they wouldn't be scared of anything anymore. So mm-hmm. they that's what prompted him to want to try to go all the way around the tree. And uh, what ended up, ended up happening was the tree branch the wind picked up and the tree branch broke off or something like that and he just went flying over the the edge of the cliff or whatever into the to the rocks at the bottom of the cliff and that's how excuse me that's how he died so basically he died trying to overcome his fears which is like crazy (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I see what it was. There was an achievement for playing Calvin's story twice. Oh. So once you finish the game, you go back and play his game. Play oh, his that's game what you went for? Again. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Gotta get them achievements. I was like, I knew there was a reason why I went back to his um, his story. Yeah, and then, um, and then, so you go from there to going to Barbara, who is, he's there, or excuse me, she is the twins older sister who is the whose death prompted them to not be as scared of everything and she is like a child star she was in a lot of movies uh, i guess she was like a at a young age and so she was famous for being in like i guess horror movies as a little girl and she was famous for her scream and so like you get to kind of see a little bit of backstory with her as a teenager uh like 16 15 16 17 year old trying to deal with i'm a known person and i'm famous but like i'm no longer in the public eye and so she's kind of deal with the normal 
growing pains that a lot of child stars have to deal with as they get older. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to kick it to you, Trevor, because I, I know you got stuff to say about this chapter, or this section. I thought this was a an excellent follow-up to Molly's story, just to show like the the how how broad this game reaches into different gameplay levels because like the her story barbara's story is basically told through the pages of a comic book mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, not animated but like designed like static static panels yeah but everything is cell shaded almost yeah too. yeah very I mean, exaggerated up the the style of it too and so it i mean there's just a lot of depth in how like the the scope of this game and for hers like marcus said she's a um you know a child star and i guess for hers they you know she's she's trying to um i don't know outperform her last performance or whatever yeah i don't know it seemed it seemed kind of odd the way they set it up but um they kind of set up this this scenario for her um where they're gonna scare her in order to get a scream out of her her iconic trademark scream yeah and um <coughs> and i think her other brother walter was involved in it because he was in the house at the time yes and he runs and hides and she's looking for him and eventually she goes down into the basement and you know well you're you're missing the so her boyfriend is there right that's who she was looking for yeah so her boyfriend is uh there's a couple of things going on so like the parents are at the house so it's her watching her uh younger brother Walter one of the twins the the last remaining twin her boyfriend Rick is at the house too and there's a horror enthusiast uh, a horror convention that's going on in the town too and she was supposed to be practicing up to go to that but because last minute she had to watch her brother she couldn't go so uh, her her boyfriend was trying to pump her up and like leading up to this event and trying to get her to get her scream right. And so kind of what Trevor said, um, she kind of uh, um, hears a bump in the night and her brother comes yelling. And uh, I think then they find out via the news that this pair of masked people are threatening people in the area going around and, like, scaring people. And so, like, there's a little bit of, like, mysteriousness going on. And then she ends up getting scared by her boyfriend, Rick, which she gets really upset about. And because he's trying to get her to deliver her scream. And um, he's kind of messing around with her. And then they she gets really annoyed and tells him, knock it off, don't do that again. And he kind of says he's not going to do it again. And then... um, they hear like this crash in the basement and so he goes down to investigate and there's like a very specific like i think isn't it like a key from a music box or something yeah like there's a very specific way you have to remove this key from this music box in order to access the basement get into the 
the basement. And so he goes down there and he's gone for 15, 20 minutes and doesn't show up. So then she's like, I'm going to see what's going on. So then you're playing as her at this point. And then you go down there to see what's going on. And you're just like, it's just very, very creepy in this basement. Because I think this basement was kind of blocked off from the rest of the family. I think it was Sven's workspace. Her her father's workspace, Edie's husband. Yeah. And so, like, not a lot of people went down there. And it was just kind of, like, barren down there. There was, like, a pool table, like, a refrigerator, some trash cans, some wood shop uh, equipment machinery. And I don't even know if she ends up finding him. And uh, she goes back upstairs. Yeah, that's where he hops out of the fridge that's down there. Oh, he... That's right, that's right. Uh, Rick hops out of the fridge and he scares her and then she uh, whacks him with, what is it, the pool stick or what was it? Um, the, um, um, the crutch. Yeah, the crutch. And, um, and then, so they both go back upstairs and they turn on the lights and you see this mysterious creature, person in the shadows. They turn on the lights and then it's just... Surprise! And it's all these horror enthusiasts that have been invited to the house by Rick to scare her and attempts to get her to deliver this scream. And then it kind of ends with the characters descending upon her with this look of horror on her face and it kind of leaves it up to They say that the boyfriend goes missing from that night on never to be seen again and so it leaves it up to the player to was it the horror enthusiast that killed her was it her boyfriend uh or maybe those horror enthusiasts that were wearing masks were actually the mask gang that was attacking people that night so i really like that it's told in a comic book way with a comic book ending you know i like to think it was fame that killed her fang fame oh <laughs> i was like what fang finch <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it was I, I don't know i think this was it probably is i'm willing to bet this is probably their most popular i guess you could say section of the game the most well regarded or whatever i think it's very well done there's creepy music the way it's narrated is really cool like through the comic book like trevor said the art style of the game completely changes like the music it's like horror music yeah it, it it's really well done like you are fully immersed in this what is it like not even 10 minutes 10 minutes story section yeah. of the game they go all out on that section and it was really cool and then um uh from there you get to see walter's uh story and i feel like his story was pretty tragic actually um oh yeah because like once you play barbara's it kind of gives you that clue that you need to go and look at the um the music box uh-huh um in order to get the key yep and then you go and use that and you go back down to where that fridge is that uh, Rick popped out of. Mm-hmm. And it's basically been turned into a, a bunker. Yep. And that's where Walter lives. Because I think the explanation for that was um, after 
he, he basically witnessed the whole thing happening because at the end of Barbara's story, you see him and he's been hiding under the bed the whole time and he saw everything that happened. And so in order Her to get killed by fame. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so in order for him to deal with it, you know, he moved down there and, and lived underground. He kind of, the way it almost made it seem like he thought there was something coming, like the end times or something. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was like he kind of got crazy that way or maybe he was referring to the curse. It's kind of ambiguous on what he's referring to. That's going to come and end everything. But yeah, he's pretty much living in a bunker. Uh, He lives down there for a good 30 plus years. And... um, uh, and like it's crazy because Edith didn't know th- ever meet him, and he was alive while she was alive. I think it said that uh, she was six years old when he died, and yeah. she never knew the entire time that he was living underneath the house at all. And uh, basically, when you when you are playing as him, you're just marking off. You see the the marks off the calendar as he and like the way you're playing as him is you're opening up these canned peaches or something to eat, and you can see in the background um, the the tick marks off of the calendar, and it goes from like nineteen seventy something to nineteen eighty something to nineteen ninety something to two thousand and five, and like it's just like he's been at it for a while and um you uh you end up finding out actually yeah actually you do find out that what he's referring to is the uh he's not hiding from a monster or anything he actually is hiding from the family curse that he believes has killed all his his siblings you know uh sam and uh barbara and molly so um, he thought that staying underground, even if it meant cutting himself off from his family, would keep him safe from the curse. And I mean, technically he was right because <laughs> nothing <laughs> happened to him while he was in the bunker, right? But I think he eventually, it led him to um, either just real, like he just didn't want to live like that anymore. So he just escaped out of the bunker and he just end up winding up in this like cave, and he's just walking around along these train tracks into the forest, and this train just comes around the corner and runs him over, and like it's <laughs> I, I don't I don't remember exactly, but it, he did mention something about going towards the light, and they play it to great effect because I think it's like he's seeing sunlight for like the first time in thirty years, and then you end up like realizing like. Oh, like he was looking at sunlight, and then this train comes veering around this corner and mows him down with high, its high beams on, or whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it, it was very, <laughs> very jarring. I was like not expecting that. I'm like, oh, my man's getting out. He's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was at this point in the game I realized how morbid this game is. Right. Because like playing through the other people's stories, I wasn't even thinking about oh. This person just died until I got to Walter's story, and is it's just like so blunt, like it, it hits you like a train. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but he's the. I mean, technically, isn't he like the first character that you actually see life flash before their eyes? Yeah, I think because, so. because I mean, with Molly, like you, 
she's resigned to like, oh, the creature's underneath my bed. You don't see the creature get her. With Barbara, Barbara, you just see like through the comic book panels her look of horror as she's getting surrounded. With Calvin, like you see him go over the edge of the cliff. Since I think, or like, he, I think you see him yeah. flying in the air, but I don't even know if you even get to see the rocks or see him falling. You know, they don't do like the mirror's edge thing where the the screen gets shaky <laughs> as he's falling. I think this is the first time that you actually see like or experience the death or right before they die. Yeah. Um, and then uh, this uh, the next person you go through is Sam who is Edith's uh, third daughter I guess she was born around the same time at, or, yeah said Sam did I say Sam is that yeah Edie's son wait because Edie had five children oh you so. know what it was Calvin Calvin and Walter are the kid the twins Sam is the 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 other one no Calvin and Sam are the are the twins? Oh, because they were born in the same year, born in nineteen fifty. What is Sam's story? Um, is it Sam the pictures? Is the one who went hunting with um, with Don? Yeah, that's the one with the pictures. Oh, I didn't realize it was a boy and girl twin. Wait, no, it's Calvin and Sam. You just said Sam is the the one that went hunting. Yeah, he was the father. So it was, he went hunting with Don. I'm confused. (laughs) So the oh, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. My bad, my (laughs) bad. I'm okay. I'm I'm sorry. I'm tripping. Yeah. So Sam is Edith's son. I'm sorry. Sam is uh yeah, yeah Edith's son, and it's uh. Or Edie's Edie's son, and it is Edith's mother's uh, husband, right? Yes. Her. N- no, her father. Father. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so Edie isn't her grandma. Edie is her great grandma, and Sam is her grandpa. Yes. Okay. Sorry. This, my bad. Yeah. So Sam is Edith's grandfather. And um, his story is he's taken uh, Edith's mother, Dawn, when she's like a preteen. Uh, Sam is really into hunting, into outdoorsmen. He's really into photography. He was a soldier. He's like uh, shown as a pretty heroic individual, like a very <laughs> American kind of guy. <laughs> and... Um, so he liked to go camping with Don, and they uh, hunt deer in the mountains. And he's, like, taking pictures, documenting this thing. And it's kind of cool because you get to see from Don's point of view, like, taking pictures. And, like, you have to get whatever thing that you guys are talking about and taking picture to progress the story forward. Because you basically snap a snapshot, and then you're in that scene. And it, it's really it's really cool um, how I think this is one of the most effective ways or gameplay things that I 
for me personally, like I, I thought Barbara's was fantastic. I really like playing as Molly. I liked experiencing a lot of stuff with the other characters. But I thought the way this was done, I was like, oh man, this is this is actually pretty clever. It's really cool. Um, what do you think about the the, the camera, the yeah, photography I liked section? It. it gave me some um, some Life is Strange vibes. <laughs> um but yeah it was pretty cool like i i mean while i was playing it i was even taking pictures of stuff like because i knew like what you needed to take pictures of in order to progress the story but like i mean if you can pretty much focus on a lot of things and like the camera itself is pretty cool the way it focuses um but but yeah it was um it was like the in the final scene in in this um in this story um when you're finally out hunting and um Sam is actually the one with the camera and he sets it up after Don takes down a, a big buck and they go and take a picture of it and Don is like literally crying because you know it's you know she just killed you know, an animal and she can still see it breathing and moving and Sam runs up to take a picture with it, um, with her and the, and the buck and, and, you know, it gets up and rears and, and knocks Sam off the cliff basically. So, um, so you crazy. can only imagine how traumatized Don has to be. And even towards the end, you know, you kind of get this sense that, you know, the curse along with her father's death, and having to kill the the buck um kind of made her more sheltered more um not necessarily cautious but overly protective yeah yeah and it's crazy because like he sets it up on a tripod a little bit away and you know puts it on a timer and it just perfectly captures the 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 final (laughs) image of her father is him falling off the cliff being knocked off the cliff and then that's kind of how um when you go into you know basically how everybody's story is delivered it's delivered either through a poem or through um the the comic book or whatever but his is delivered through these photos so it's kind of like you're looking through like these photos his final day yeah (laughs) it's literally his final day um yeah and uh the next character is Gregory, who is the unfortunately the youngest member of the Finch family to die to the curse. And this was uh, Sam and uh, uh, um, Sam and Kay, who is his wife. Uh, so this is uh, Edith's grandma. This is their youngest. Uh, uh, Son, I don't know actually, youngest son, but basically they had him and had a divorce um, shortly afterwards. So the artifact you're you're reading about this is, or finding out about this is through the the, the divorce contract or the, the 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 letter, and basically it's with Sam telling of how he felt that Gregory saw things that the rest of the in a way that the rest of the family didn't, and he kind of like was kind of saying like, it's not your fault for this thing happening. And like, I'm sorry that this kind of was a determining factor in us separating. Like it wasn't like the only thing, but like, 
I, I want you to know that I harbor no ill will to you for Gregory passing away. And then you get to see um, your, your Gregory and your a wee little baby. <laughs> yeah. And um, you are being bathed by your mother, by uh, Kay. And um, I think uh, he's playing in the tub and he's having a good time or whatever. And I think um, she... I don't remember what happens, but she goes to... Yeah, she's on the phone talking... To somebody, I think she's talking about the divorce. Yeah, and she gets distracted, and Gregory has this, it seems like overactive imagination, so like these creatures, the, the rubber ducks in the pool, or in the, in the tub, and all his little toys are like playing with him and coming to, his, to him, so he's like bouncing around with them and everything, and you get to play as this like frog wind up frog kind of creature and you're you're a toy and you're interacting with the other toys and bouncing off of them and you end up uh she comes in and um unplugs the tub and it drain the water drains out yeah and yeah. so i guess she assumes that you know the water's or the tub is empty so he can't drown but then his toys that came to life end up jumping on the the um, lever and turning the faucet back on, and clogging, reclogging, yeah, up the tub, and uh, I felt just watching the water go up. Yeah, it was, uh, and that was the scene I was talking about in the intro where they had to have yeah. parents come in and play test. I don't think it was like over the top or like. It just, it was still hard to watch, you know? Yeah. Like, it was tastefully done, but it was just like, ugh. Like, it's kind of weird, because I'm, this is like, a, it's going to be a weird statement to say, I am pro-kids dying in fiction and in media. Like, I am, I do like when people write stories or tell stories that they're not They don't afraid. shy away from it. Yes, but, like, this young is a little bit, like, <laughs> like beyond what I, you know, I'm talking, like, 8, 10, 12, you know, like, I won't even say 8. I'll say, like, once you hit double digits, you're fair game. Like like Anakin <laughs> killing all the younglings? See, I didn't, I mean, I know about it, but I, I, I never, I don't, I'm not a Star Wars fan, so, I, you know. But you that, get the reference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, man, like, it's just a little, like, man, this kid can't do anything for itself, and it, it was, it was rough, but I, I really do like how they, how they at least depict it, because once the water gets over his head, um, he becomes a frog, and then he's swimming in this pool, and you can see his other toys in the water and these the big letters that um uh the toys had knocked off the wall this like little magnet or whatever letters that he had on the tub wall and so like he's just swimming towards the drain and uh i, I think it's tastefully done it's just it's still like oh my god like i don't even have kids and it hit me i can't imagine <laughs> like yeah and I mean, for me, 
<laughs> as a yeah. father, you know, I'm just okay. kinda, I'm just kind of judging the mom like, hey, you shouldn't have had an infant in that big tub anyways. You know better. <laughs> it should have been in the sink. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, man. So, yeah. Um, like I said, I, I think it was very effective. I think it was very, like, it hit me. <laughs> so, it, it, they did a good job, and it was just very, uh, uh, yeah. It was rough. Um, uh, luckily, uh, the next one's not as bad. <laughs> um, Gus, uh, which is, um, uh, Dawn's one of Dawn's brothers, um, and this was told through a poem that she wrote in re- remembrance of her brother um, uh, while she was a kid. And uh, I think so. This actually ended up happening on uh, her, her. I guess he was kind of annoyed slash upset about the divorce happening, and so he was going through the showing out for it phase. And so, on the day of their dad, um, Sam, getting remarried, Gus was against the idea, and uh, it didn't matter. He was still supposed to participate, and the ceremony was actually taking place on the beach by the Finch House, which I just want to say, if there's a curse going on with people getting bodied, like, just get off the island. Well, not that that matters. Not that that matters, because the, the curse followed them from Europe to North America, but still... Like, of any day, like, you have this tragic history in your family, like, just don't hold a wedding on the island. <laughs> Man, they're just trying to live their best life. They're trying. And, um, anyways, Gus is acting out, not listening to Sam. And so he's flying a kite over the shore when, uh, this storm starts going and everybody else seeks shelter in this tented area. And, um, I mean, the loose chairs and other debris being picked up uh, and following along uh, the, the the path of the kite that Sam is, or excuse me, Gus is flying, and um, he ends up flying the kite over by the tent that everybody's in, and it picks the tent up, and then the wind picks uh, changes direction again, and literally the kite. All the debris in the tent just land and hit Gus. And basically he gets killed by all the stuff. Basically that storm that's going on. He gets killed by everything from the wedding. And I'm not going to lie. this I don't really care for this section. <laughs> yeah, I didn't too much care for it. I mean, it it kind of, it kind of ruined the pacing a little bit in the game. Um, simply because everything is so fluid as you're walking, um, once you hit certain checkpoints, it like, you know, post the text, you know, in a visible area, like it could be like up in the sky or, or somewhere, um, like while you're walking and the, the camera actually focuses on it. Um, and it continues to, to narrate and you can stop and read it if you want, or just kind of keep walking, but it's, it's very fluid. Um, whereas once you get to this section, I don't know if it's just real finicky or you have to kind of wait for it. I couldn't figure out what you're supposed to do in order to trig the next narration besides kind of waving the the kite around. But at some point it seemed to get stuck. So, um, 
one of the things that I wrote down in my notes that I really did like about the game is that the text kind of interacts with the environment. And so, like, you'll see text come into the picture. So, like, when, when anytime Edith is having um, an inner monologue uh, or she's reading something, text will pop, the text of what she's reading or saying will sometimes pop up, but it will pop up in the environment and it will pop up like on walls or like in front of her and she can walk through it and it breaks or uh, and like not just on wall like on walls along the plane of the wall and like so there's a like a 3Dness about what they do with the text and in this particular uh gameplay setting you're flying the kite and uh, the poem that Dawn wrote in remembrance of Gus is appears in the sky, and you, when you fly, you f- you have to fly your kites uh, over the letters to highlight the letters, and you have to highlight. I want to say like ninety five, at least ninety five percent of the phrase in order to trigger it to go to the next line read. So there's a little bit of like air quote gameplay involved in that. Uh, and that kind of goes along with the interactiveness that the, the text has. But I just think overall, it wasn't really that compelling. And it kind of, like, I I, I get it. Like, not everybody is going to be the perfect individual or anything like that. Everybody is unique, has their own personality. But, like, the only... He, Gus has no redeeming qualities. <laughs> <laughs> like the only snippet of him that you get to see is him being a jerk. You know, him being a little kind of bratty. Well, you know, his dad is talking flying to him. Kite. Yeah. Like on, I don't want to say the most important day in his father's life, but you know, on the day of his second wedding, second marriage, like you gotta be a dick that day, you know, like, but that's, that's the point in time that you're seeing this character. So unfortunately that kind of, paints him in a more negative light than I probably should put him in, but I just really didn't care for him as a character, and then on top of that, like, his section of the game was kind of just bo- whatever to me. Boring. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I think, around this point, like, a lot of the, you're no longer in the house. I mean, maybe it was even before this, too, but the craziest thing, not crazy, yes, crazy, they have a whole ass cemetery for every single person in the family and all their pets. And something about that is just really off-putting to me. When you walk, did did that do anything for you, Trevor? It It's not unheard of. It's just like, man, like I I just like, think even like, in even in brothers, you know, your family is buried like you know, right off the the edge of the cliff from your house. But in Brothers, there's not, like, a family curse that, like, it's almost just kind of like, he got got to to the curse, you know, like, I don't know, it's like, constant reminders that this curse is in your life whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Yeah. But it's just, I don't know. Uh, I just wanted to, it's not like a major thing, but I just thought, I was like, man, like, it's really cool that they have, like, these memorials for their family members, but it just seems like this family is so isolated, because you never see them interact with other people outside of the family, for the most part, and it just, I don't know, man, (laughs) it's weird, 
to me. Um, but yeah, the next character is Milton, who is Edith's uh, youngest. I think is I think it's her youngest brother. Um, who he was like an artist. He was really into art and um, really creative and. I honestly don't remember too much. I remember his room being pretty sick. <laughs> yeah, he he was like in a a very centralized. I don't know how to describe it. It was like, like a loft. <laughs> yeah, like when I was climbing it up, I thought I was going into like a lighthouse or something. But but it was all glass too. Yeah, like, like just all natural light, and he just had. Like white flooring and a lot of art books and ink spills and just art supplies strewn about the place. And uh, so he was a very uh, creative kid. And he was the one that just mysteriously disappeared. Yeah. Where they don't know if he's actually dead or not. And there's a little bit of ambiguity as far as what actually happened to him. Because I think the way his story is told... It's through a uh, like a what do you call flip, flip, book. A flip book? Yeah, and he basically in the story he's creating art and he's given a magic paintbrush. He creates a magic door that he goes through and is never seen again. And so it's kind of like, did he really just disappear, or he's not in a different reality, or you know, like it's it's kind of like the the, the one time they kind of throw in some. Not the one time, but one of the few times they kind of throw into fantasy, into this, like, otherwise, like, pretty realistically depicted world. Like, I guess everybody dies in a fantastical way, but it's, like, kind of romanticized. And then for him, it's just kind of, like, just straight-up fantasy, you know? Yeah. And he's also the only character, if you're looking at the um, family tree, he's also the only person who's drawing... It looks like a, a cart, more cartoonish character. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it looks like a character from Doug or something. Whereas <laughs> everybody else looks a little bit more realistic. Yeah. And um, the next is Lewis, who is um, Edith's older brother. And actually, I think actually this might be my favorite story. Yeah, this is my favorite story. This one is really good. So so he is this troubled young guy who's dealing... He's struggling to deal with what's going on around him. So once his younger brother Milton kind of disappears, he kind of shuts himself off from the world and he gets persuaded to see a therapist because he has a drug problem. Uh, I mean, from what I could tell, it's it's just weed. But I don't know if he's doing other things. Uh, he was probably into some psychedelics. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, based um, on the way his room looked. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he ended up getting a job at a cannery in Pacific Northwest. Uh, so, he's doing a pretty monotonous job. Just chopping, I think, fish heads and tails off. And then just getting into the next step in the process at this factory. So, when he's working, his mind wanders. So, like, you're going through, you're playing him at his job, basically just getting a fish, grabbing the fish, 
sliding the fish over to get his head chopped off, throwing it off to the conveyor belt. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And so that's going on. And he's like, in the meantime, like the entire background, like the the action that you're doing is happening in the foreground in a first person point of view. So you can only see your hands in the fish. But <clears throat> in the foreground, or excuse me, in the background, this story is uh, evolving in front of your eyes. And he's seeing himself as this traveler that's destined to become a king of another world. And it's kind of pre- presented in like a very storybook, like fably kind of way. Like a video game too. Like it made me think of Civ. <laughs> like uh, you know, because it starts um, off as almost like a like an eight bit game, and then yeah, it yeah, it is. to to is. isometric view. Yep, and then it goes yep. into third person or first person. Yeah, and it's just showing him uh, traveling. And the therapist kind of begins to tell how he lived his life according to the art of the world in his imagination. So according to Lewis, uh, his imagination was as important as his body in the real world. And he left like it was something... ah. And he lived like it was somewhere he belonged, his imagination. So he meets this princess and builds cities in his name. And he's being crowned king of the land as he's continuing to live in the real world. As you're literally doing this monotonous action at this factory job, you're seeing all this stuff unfold. And like Trevor said, it's like a video game is happening and like things like the way it's progressing. And so you're controlling, um, basically controlling the real life stuff, like your right hand with the right thumbstick, and then like the the fantasy stuff with your left with hand. The le- exactly. And like one of the points too, there's like you, when you're going, when you meet the princess and she's going on this journey, like you're in this ship and you're going down this river and it forks. And where it forks, like, you get to choose which way to go, and that will tell how the story is. So it's like, the princess is looking for a, a knight, or the princess is looking for a golden harp. And you can just kind of veer off, and depending on which way you go, that's how the story unfolds. And um, he ends up, like, having these fantasies, and they end up taking up the majority of his life. And he just forgets to go home after work and his family, because they become concerned about him. And he kind of, in the, in the game, uh, or in his imagination, he's about to be crowned. And so he's walking up the stairs to the throne to be crowned. And I think, I believe... He thought the only way to live this actual imagination as intended would be to end the real world Lewis. But that is kind of ambiguous because it it makes it seem like he may or may not know what he's doing. So he may have just like the, the, the imagination has completely taken over. Or he's thinking like, I gotta leave the real world so I can only live in this imagination. And so he ends up going up this conveyor belt to the very top of this pile of whatever, and he 
lays his head down and his head is taken off by a guillotine that they had been using to chop the heads off of the fish. And, um, yeah, like, it's kind of, it's really sad because, like, he's shown, he's, like, relatively young, like, maybe just out of high school. And, like, you can, putting myself in the, his, his shoes, uh, he's just out of school. And, like, I imagine, like, his high school years had to be tough because his siblings had passed away. And, um, so he's kind of dealing with, uh, remorse about their deaths. And then on top of that, like he's, he's, he goes over to, you know, he reverts the substances to try to help him cope with it. And then he just, I don't know if it's the substances or just him having an overactive imagination, but that this ends up becoming his obsession and that ends up being his downfall. What's also interesting to me is um, the part right before he commits suicide, um, he walks past himself. Like, I don't know if you noticed that, but like it's I guess it's showing you actually in the in the imagination world in Lewis's mm-hmm. imagination, um, because one aspect of it is as his imagination grows, it covers more and more of the screen, too. So yeah, you actually yeah. don't see yourself um, chopping the heads off a of fish until eventually it just takes over the entire screen. And so once it takes over the entire screen, you go into first person mode, and that's when you're controlling Lewis in the in the dream world slash real world. And while you're walking up the conveyor belt to the um, to the guillotine, um, you walk past yourself. Mm-hmm. And you can see yourself basically not even paying attention, just chopping the heads off a of fish. It's it's pretty deep. I, I really I thought it was very well told. Yeah. Like I really I really dug it. I really dug it. Um and then uh I guess the, the last or the end of the game, or close to the end, is you play the final night, that that fateful night when uh you had that big argument with uh, between those you, your mom Dawn, and then your great grandmother Edie. Um, basically, this is relatively recently after Lewis's death. Dawn decides to basically take Edie and get away, Edith, and get away from the curse that has taken over the Finch household. But she doesn't tell Edie until the night they leave, and Edie wanted to tell Edith herself about the family curse and the stories about the families, but Dawn kind of blames her grandma's storytelling for the curse being reality because she tells all the kids about this thing, and so that's a thing that they're aware of their entire life, and so then when somebody dies, oh, it, it must have been the curse. You know, it can't just be bad luck. It had to be the curse. And um, so she kind of feels like if it wasn't for you spreading these stories around like the family wouldn't have been so unlucky and then so she basically is wants to take edith away from the the house and edie basically insists that she's not going to leave uh the house and uh i believe that night edie dies and that's why when you go back to the house 
the Chinese food is left like in the exact spots that it was, and the house is just the way it is. It's because she dies that night. But uh, as you can see, <clears throat> or as you find out or talk when you're doing your inner monologue or whatever, um, Dawn, she starts to become sick, and she gets some type of terminal illness. And this is a few years after leaving the house, and she begins to get better, but then it ends up returning, and she dies, and that kind of leaves Edith on her own as the sole surviving member of the Finch family. And um, then, uh, you want to get it from here, Trevor? (laughs) Um, So, you already went into um, basically how Edie dies. She... um, like for some reason the the tide goes really low. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. So she starts walking towards the house. This is like the first time in her lifetime that she's been able to see the house since it sunk. Yeah. Like she's commented that, you know, every now and then the tide is low and I can catch a glimpse of the roof of the house or, you know, maybe even like the attic or something, but the tide is literally so low that she can like literally walk on the ground to the house. And um, and she actually goes out there, and she she gets lost because of the fog, and she sees a vision, and it's a um, is it a deer? Um, I I don't I don't remember off the top of my head. And she starts trying to follow it, and that leads her to the house. Um, and she goes into the house. I can't remember exactly what happens after that. Uh, I don't remember either. Because I couldn't tell if it was like a dream or she was actually. Let's see if I can pull it up real quick. Um, yeah, I can't remember. It must have been a, a dream or something, because yeah, she did die that night after Edith and Dawn moved. Yeah. Um, and so then, like you said, Dawn, you know, becomes terminally ill, um, and that's when Edith, you know, I think later on she gets pregnant. And that's when she starts writing this book, um, because she's—I guess—because she's aware of the curse now. Um, yeah. You know, she's starting to, she's starting to gain an awareness for her mortality, and she starts writing this book to give to her her future child um, to tell them about the curse, which to me is kind of um, ridiculous. But um, to what? What is ridiculous? To tell her son about the curse um because i mean basically she's passing it on to him gotcha but i mean she feels like these stories need to be told because i guess her way of looking at it is her mom tried to hide these stories from her um but you know that's the reason why she's going back to this house trying to figure out what happened to her relatives in, in order to piece together this family tree for her son yeah it's really we haven't even given away the reveal like so you get to the place and by all you're playing as Edith you're playing as Edith and you're you know and seeing the house at some point she mentions not being she shouldn't be climbing as much and I'm like the entire time I'm thinking like she's writing this story in a way like she's telling this to somebody and I was like is she pregnant and sure enough she was pregnant when she went to go visit the house and uh, so she's like Trevor said she doesn't know 
anything if it's you know if she's speaking to her son or daughter or whatever but um she's writing this story for her child her future child and then um i mean i think she's 17 years old at the time Mm -hmm. when she goes back to the house and um so she's writing this and um i don't even let's see what happens uh Basically, like kind of like Trevor said, she wants to ensure that her child hears the fate of the, their family. So she writes everything in her journal once she reaches what used to be her room. And I think, um, I think she even has a little bit of inner turmoil on whether she should share this or not because she does say like maybe it would be better if this all just died with me because she's like in one sense like you don't need to know the horrible fate that the finch family has but in on the other sense i'm the only person capable of passing this down and like it's almost kind of like tradition where it's like everybody in the family has known about the finch family's curse or at least you know about why the family passed away and that kind of speaks to why uh the mom kind of she how she had sealed all the rooms was because she was trying to end the curse in her eyes you know she was trying to prevent it from happening or corrupting her daughter or whatever so even though that she was trying to hide edith from it she still believed in it you know and um i think as uh i think you start um uh, here you hear heartbeats as Edith gives birth, and the words appear in what like they are like cells floating in a blood vessel, and the heartbeat kind of gets quicker and comes to a halt, and then you still hear Edith speaking, and then the image fades to her uh, journal, and they close the journal, and it says Edith Finch on it. And then the person that you're playing as takes the flowers and the diary to her grave at the Finch house. And then you see, like, oh, snaps, like, she died. And, like, not just, like, she died, like, before she turned 18. So she died within the year of not only giving, like, writing this story, visiting the house, but even giving birth. So, um... She died during childbirth, apparently, but the diary was what she left behind for her child, which you find out as a son, that she left behind to kind of inform him about the family history. And um, now her son is... It's what remains of Edith Finch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There it is. And there it is. (laughs) Um, I don't know, dude. Like, I... I don't... it's a really easy game to talk about, but you have to experience it. That's that's all I can say. Like, I, I can't think of anything that I would change about the game at all. Um, it's beautifully told. Uh, there are some very heartfelt moments in the in the game, and even like the I, I didn't really care for Gus's sequence. Like, it has a it has a purpose. Like, I mean, you could take that out, sure, but, like, it doesn't, like, bring the game down that it's in, you know? It's not like it's any... It's no longer than eight minutes of gameplay, you know? So it's not a huge drag. <sighs> I This was... I really appreciate 
you sending this or <laughs> picking this game. I really, really, really enjoyed it. One of the other things that I remember um, when I was reading about this game is that before it even reveals that she's pregnant, the player can actually figure it out if yeah. you look down. See, I didn't know that. Because <laughs> you can see she her makes, stomach. She makes note at one point of like, I guess there's two of us, or it's just me and, or there, that leaves two of us. And it's written like, it's mentioned right after they mention Milton. So mm-hmm. it's kind of ambiguous if like, because you know, like anytime they mention Milton, they don't want to say he's dead. They just kind of say he's missing, you know? Yeah. So, like, it's kind of, I think, sneakily thrown in there. Like, I caught it right away, but I was just kind of like, I had this theory that she was pregnant. And um, I just kind of, like, kept that in the back of my mind. Like, at this point, she mentioned there's two of us. This was right after she was talking about Milton. Is this, like, a little slick way of getting one in underneath uh or getting one in on the gamer, the person playing, and kind of like kind of yeah. sleight of hand. And I guess thing. if you don't figure it out at the end, like when she's getting into her bed to finish writing, you know that's when it finally shows her stomach. Like you have no choice but to see it. Yeah. Um, huh. Do you um? Do you got anything else you need to? No, what, I'm, no. I'm glad we played this game. It's. I've wanted to play, uh, well, I guess we have played a walking sim on this game, um, which is Firewatch, another bonus episode. Um, But yeah, I've wanted to play another one for a while because I think they do some pretty interesting things um, with storytelling. Like even with Firewatch, you know, it's told over the period of, um, I think like a year or so. I can't remember exactly the timeline, but I mean, the way it's told is just vastly different from how it would have been told if, you know, there's other types of gameplay going on, um, whether it be like an action game, a platformer or something else. But all you have is, you know, that narration that you're paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty cool to, and especially um, like independent developers too. I think, um there's a there there's something special that a lot of independent developers have to say and it's a lot easier for them to say it in independent games than it is for like these big budget triple A games. Did you, there's one other question I had, but I can't think I literally as you were talking I had a question and now I can't think of what I was about to ask now. I do have a question. It's it's okay. a, a Dante inspired question. Okay. So if you were to die, um what format would your your story be told in? Like you know how each of the characters has a, a different medium that's used to, to tell their, their final um moments? What sure. would be yours? You know what? <laughs> um, probably, can you include characters that you don't see die? You don't get to play their story or just the ones that you do? Um, I guess you can include both. Man, then I would want to be like... If it had to be a character that you played, it would. I would just say Milton. Just kind of low-key, you know, just like... What happened to dude? I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, as One far as, as um, 
like, okay, in the case of Milton's story, you learn about his final moments through the flip book. Yeah, and yeah. Like, what what would be your flip book? What would that object be? Or like with Sam, his final moments were with the pictures. Oh, so what would be the thing that people see how I... Yeah. Like, what would be my artifact? Right. Um, shoot. Uh, you got something? <laughs> um, man, I would hope by the time that I die, um, it would, it would be the form of like a, a hologram puzzle. <laughs> like where you have to actually like figure out the puzzle and while you're figuring out the puzzle you're you know piece by piece you're getting parts of the story i don't i don't know how to explain it if i do i'll have to make it into a game but i don't know it have to be like a like some type of futuristic hologram that that's interactive i would like some type of futuristic like uh, torn because I'm like, man, do I would I rather have like a some type of story to commemorate me, kind of like how Barbara had that comic book, yeah, or or would I prefer just like a somebody just have some t- you know what I could see yours as, Marcus? What's that? The cookbook. You know what? I was thinking. I was just thinking that I'd be like Walter, man. I just have like these cook. I have because I have this little notebook actually. Because I'm like, this is stupid. This is, but this is what actually happens in my head. It's like, man, like I have these specific recipes that I go to online, like specific recipes that I have that I go to, and I'm like, man, this is just a person's blog, or this is just like you know somebody's personal website. What happens if this person passes away or they don't decide, hey, they're not doing this thing anymore? Like, what is going to happen to their website? And, like, how am I going to access this recipe? I should start cataloging these things. And Alyssa is really into journaling. She she has a diary and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So she got me a notebook. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to write all the recipes in this notebook of all the food that I like. And I just, like, will have a hard copy. And I will just copy this stuff down from the internet into a hard hard book. So I'm going to have this little notebook right beside my computer. I'm literally holding it right now <laughs> with the recipes in it of the stuff that I like to make in case whatever website goes down or, you know, whatever, 10, 5... 5, 10, 25 years from now, I will have this black book of recipes that it's like, oh, these are all the recipes that I made multiple times that I love or Alyssa loves. And yeah, so the, this will be my thing. So I will find my recipe book and be like, dang, like you can see at this point, you know, he's writing in pencil. This is like, he, he's still young. And oh, now here he is writing in, in pen. And oh, here he is now. He's scanning it in digitally from a futuristic device and it's just <laughs> you can still smell the burn marks and oh here he is like trying to do it by hand because that's what he used to do when he was little but his hand is shaky or whatever or i don't know <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah it would definitely be you're 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 absolutely right it would be uh this little recipe booklet i got right beside me right now so i want to change mine now <laughs> i want mine to be a mixtape 
<laughs> it won't be a mixtape. It'll be like a, <laughs> and, and uh, I, something on a, a cloud uh, album or something. <laughs> I died in a house fire because it got hot when I was recording it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he just he just couldn't stop spitting hot fire. <laughs> he wanted to finish laying down the track. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> um, you got you got anything else for this game, man? No, I think that's it. I uh, very much like this game. You just told me the curse of this game, and now I am going not the curse, but you just told me you brought this game into my life, and now I'm aware of it, <laughs> and I'm going to pass it along to somebody else. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make Alyssa. I'm not gonna make her play it, but I'm gonna see if she would like to play it. But even beyond that, I'm gonna tell my homies like, "Hey, man, y'all should play this game. This game is dope." So I'm taking taking a page out of Edith Finch's uh, story and uh, passing it along. So um, yeah, uh, good choice. Really good choice. I think this is probably my favorite. This is definitely my favorite bonus episode or game I've played for bonus episodes so far. So every time we play a game, I'm like in my head internally thinking about like my list for the end of the year. (laughs) And it's just like, man, I have no idea how this thing is going to look because like I assume that like we're going to keep playing games that I really like or that. Maybe not really getting better and better. Well, yeah, yeah. So, especially like how last year was, where we ended up on like my my favorite game. So I'm like, man, if that were to happen, that would screw up my entire list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So uh, where can people find you? Let's 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 wrap this up. You can find me anywhere on the internet at Lyric Unsung. You can find me on Instagram at Mark Dizzle, um, and you can find me on Twitter at Potato Salad and on Facebook at Potato Salad. Um, not Mixer. I mean, I know you, you just got your internet back, so maybe. <laughs> um, I may do some streaming. Um, I didn't think of mine. Uh, there's a couple of games I gotta I gotta catch up on. Oh, perhaps our next bonus episode? What's that? Perhaps our next bonus podcast game? Oh, streaming it? Yeah, just asking. I mean, you just said just games you have to catch up on, and I just know where you're at in that game. Oh, uh, which game did you up. say? <laughs> the bonus podcast game. Oh, um, um, I might stream it. You never know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have an exact schedule um, for streaming. Sure, but, sure. You know. You never know. Just stay tuned. Yeah. Um, well, um, as you can see, we have a, another bonus cast coming up. Uh, we won't reveal. I actually prefer to just keep those on the on the down low and just they pop up when they pop up. But uh, we do have one planned. So maybe maybe it'll come out soon. Maybe not. So in, in the meantime, we'll be chugging away at it and. Uh, be sure to check out, I believe, our next episode is going to be Hellblade Sinuous Sacrifice. That should be coming out in the next week or so. And did you ever happen to get that 
previous episode tweaked, Trevor? Um, um, no. Um, I'll check into that and see. If uh, I mean, there. I know you were busy. I know you were yeah. busy, so. And then I didn't have internet for the majority of the past week. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, you got anything else? Any other news or announcements or anything? Uh, I don't. Okay, me neither. Um, <laughs> well, we are mixed checkpoints, and we're out. Peace. <laughs>